Hey, Quinn here. What you are about to listen to is a rebroadcast of our episode two about public health and propaganda. Um, it's just the discussion portion between Lindsay and I, but if you want to listen to the full episode uh, with our interview with Jennifer Wright, it is available um, earlier in the feed, so go back and find it. But otherwise, here you go. Thanks. episode on viral is about public health and propaganda. So propaganda. Yeah. It has such a sinister and slimy feel to it. Mm. When I think of propaganda, I think of state-sponsored televisions telling a controlled public that everything is going to be okay, despite the chaos and hopelessness in the streets. Fun stuff. Yeah. Is that kind of what you think of? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's... I think of uh, loose lips sink ships. Ooh, great segue. So how could something so villainous be linked to the altruistic field of public health? That's what we're here to explore today. So how do we define propaganda? Merriam-Webster defines it as the spreading of ideas, information, or rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, a cause, or a person. Propaganda originates from Latin to propagate, which is not surprising, mm -hmm. uh, and was first used in a religious context by the Catholic Church. How come everything is first used in a religious context? Mm, good question. Not really sure about that. Mm. Uh, in 1622, Pope Gregory XV established the Con Congregatio de Propaganda Fide, or the Congregation for the Propagating for Propagating the Faith, to further missionary activities of the Church. It wasn't until the 19th century that this term was used for ideas and political causes. Luckily, the U.S. National Library of Medicine has a great compilation of historical audiovisuals in its History of Medicine section on its website. So when I started digging into kind of the intersection of public health and propaganda, I, I found a lot, especially when it came to public health and war, which is actually the name of the section that I found a lot of my information in. So in this excerpt, different marketing and visual campaigns are discussed during war times. With the invention of film, many public health professionals wanted to harness its power over the masses. In 1910, a film about the dangers of flies was a part of a larger British campaign to educate citizens. This sparked other film campaigns across Europe that addressed topics like alcohol abuse, clean water, and food contamination. However, some critics felt that these campaigns were problematic. In 1918, Evert and Mark Rutzan, public, prominent public health marketers, said of these films, the propaganda value of the motion picture is both very considerable and overrated. Oof. It is, right? It is unreasonable to expect results merely because people like motion pictures. They also critique these films for their inaccuracy and lack of credibility. This begs the question, if the end goal of a public health message is altruistic in intent, does it matter if the content is correct? That's a good one. Right? I mean, I, I would like to say yes, because 
it's going to backfire on you if you're putting information out there that is incorrect or false or misleading, even if it has good intentions. And what about if it has the intended behavior change? Like, what if the actual behavior change happens? Like, more people cover their food so that flu- so that flies don't, you know... Uh... Well, a common strategy is using fear to, mm-hmm. to try and get people to change behavior, but... The it's less, model. <laughs> yeah, but it's less effective than you really think it is when you go through and you read the evidence, um, putting scary images and of diseased lungs on the back of um, cigarette cartons that actually people will just find a way to cover it up and they don't necessarily change their behavior. There's a small change with people who, there's like a very small change with just people who are susceptible of that but it doesn't completely eliminate the behavior right and i think that you know going back to the credibility piece you know public health institutions are built on credibility and credibility credibility is what builds trust with the public right so even if one campaign had the intended you know if the intended result actually helped people but the information was incorrect and misleading you know, you're talking about decades of, you know, mistrust from the public if they find that out. And obviously we have many examples of that in history, right? The Tuskegee study, all of that. So um, I think that one of the most prominent examples of the intersection of public health and propaganda um, was World War II. I'm sure many people have seen these posters warning against the dangers of venereal disease, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of... Re- Loosely, loose lips sink ships, sort of. I guess that's more intelligence yep. based. But... When you are uh, portside and you go talk to a special lady who you meet in a bar, don't tell her why why you're there. <laughs> and maybe wrap it up. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, I don't that know. Too. Um, but they didn't just talk about venereal disease. They talked about the spread of germs and malaria. Um, and if you haven't seen them, check them out. Um, the artistry and the cultural context, read sexism, is astounding. Um, seizing on the wave of patriotism, collective war efforts, and the awe of scientific and technological advancement, as well as better funding, public health organizations created and implemented national disease prevention campaigns. What a time. Coupled with radio segments, plays, lectures, and exhibitions, these campaigns urged U.S. citizens to create a more perfect America through better health and unflinching patriotism and hope. Unfortunately, Mm. the culture and ideas of the time permeated these messages. As discussed before, anti-venereal disease campaigns were rife with sexism. Many posters warned the male audience against loose women riddled with gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. The public health messages were often coupled with protecting national intelligence because loose women were probably also Nazi spies. We tend to focus on these posters because of how shocking they are in today's world. I think that these posters also give an excellent example of the use of propaganda principles against fighting against disease. While they were trying to help U.S. citizens, or in this case with the concept people and the war effort, which would be the cause, They use powerful social stigma and nationalism to motivate behavior change. So what if the information is correct and the intent is like mostly honest, but the cultural context surrounding the message is oppressive, meaning it stigmatizes another group or is like in this case sexist. 
Is it okay to blame women for VDs as a way to prevent unsafe sex? What mm. do you think? I mean, again, it kind of goes back to credibility, right? Right. It's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it takes two to tango. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it logistically. Right. But, uh, and in our upcoming, epi upcoming uh, interview with uh, Jennifer Wright, we will talk more about syphilis and kind of the stigma around that. So, but yeah, I mean, these messages were really powerful. I don't know if they really necessarily stopped people from having unsafe sex. Mm -hmm. They probably more so allowed men to blame women for getting syphilis or gonorrhea or chlamydia, but they were, I mean, everywhere. Those posters are everywhere. And there, and there's so many examples online. It's, it's amazing. And I'm sure that messages like this have dated back even before we have decent records of them. Um, but they all seem to kind of coalesce around times of war mm -hmm. when you have a great deal of nationalistic pride and um, a sense that in a very utilitarian sense, the good action to take is the one that benefits the whole mm -hmm. or the, the many, mm -hmm. which is a, a very key aspect of the field of public health right. because the idea is that we want to promote and protect the public's health and mm -hmm. thinking about the public in a, uh, in a plural sense sometimes means doing things that go against your own personal wants and needs to benefit the whole. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, I, there's vaccinations, a lot... you know, that's case in point mm -hmm. as a good example. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. So here's another instance that I find that I found so uh, interesting. So what happens when public health is used as war propaganda to conceal technological advances? Ooh, go on. <laughs> I, I first read this and I thought, how? I mean, how? So there's a great story, and this is from the Smithsonian Magazine, that talks about how the British military created a myth about carrots to hide their secret... <laughs> right, it's totally logical. Um, to hide their secret radar technology from Germany. So everyone knows create, or carrots are a great source of vitamin A, which can help eyesight. However, this was taken uh, much further to, hey, carrots can make you see at night. <laughs> One poster, and they had a, this poster yep. was awesome. Night sight can mean life or death. Eat carrots, leafy greens, or yellow vegetables rich in vitamin A for night sight. Night sight. Get that. Very night good. Night sight. Yeah. So they kind of, they tried to propagate this myth as a way to cover for the new radar technology being used to detect German aircraft at night. However, th so this myth actually survived past World War II, but there was actually no indication that the Germans believed this myth. And this is coming from John Stolarczyk, who is the curator of the World Carrot Museum. And yes, there is a World Carrot Museum. Oh, man. Right? I'm adding that to my list of places to go. Right? Book those tickets. So public health promotion and communication has transformed since 
since its inception. Technology, culture, and historical events have shaped the artistry and message of many public health campaigns. These campaigns can be a unique lens into the social and health priorities of the time. It is important to understand the scope of these campaigns, not only to understand their historical significance, but to ensure that standards and parameters for communication are created to prevent them from turning into propaganda. But what exactly makes them propaganda? Yeah, that's what I was about to ask, because yes. what's the difference between just uh, drink more milk to have stronger bones and the propaganda posters that we, that we look back on in history? So I don't think that the answer is really that simple, because if you look back at what the definition of propaganda is, right, it's the, you know, um, okay, let me see if I can find it. The spreading of ideas, information, or rumor for the purpose of helping or injuring an institution, a cause, or a person. I mean, that's pretty vague, but if you think about it, a lot of public health messaging is very close to that, right? We're but it, it has a specific purpose to either promote or damage an institution. Or cause or, or a person. Okay. So never mind. So. But it's not to promote a behavior where I think that, I mean, promoting a behavior is a piece of, of what they want you to do, but it's not the end result. So with propaganda, they want you to have safer sex practices in order to help us win the war. Right. Whereas I think now it's vaccinate yourself and your children so that you can live a longer and healthier life and right. that you can protect those around you because right. we're also not in a time of, of war, even right. though we technically are, well, but yeah. it's a, it's a sort of different nebulous war. Right. Well, and I think that what differentiates propaganda from just social marketing or health communication is that, you know, a lot of, obviously, like you just said, you just stated, is that a lot of times propaganda has a hidden agenda, right? So, and or a maybe lot of, they're not, not telling you all the facts. Right. And it's political in nature. And I think, okay. you know, one of the things that public health uh, campaigns really try to do is to take the politics out of, I mean, and not, not always, right? I mean, sometimes we have to educate policymakers about the health priorities of the time, but that doesn't necessarily make it, I guess, political, or, right? Yeah. But I, 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 I think it's really interesting that even, you know, around the turn of the century, public health professionals recognize the power of film and the, the power of patriotism, you yeah. know, the, those are very, um, I don't know, influential tools when trying to deliver a message in such a broad way. But again, I think that you have to be very careful how it's framed, the information you're using, um, and what your, what your intended behavior change or what you want to educate with as a motivator or just to bring about awareness, you know, you have to be very careful on how you put, you have to be strategic in how you put that together. Or I do think it falls into what could be looked at as propaganda.